All right, um, Matthew, Matthew, King Jesus. The series is called King Jesus. Um, during the uh, three and a half, three plus, three plus years that Jesus ministered in his humanity uh, on the earth, uh, literally there were thousands of people who witnessed with their own eyes the miracles, the supernatural, miraculous work of God through Jesus of Nazareth and heard, heard his teaching and saw him minister literally thousands of people. So theoretically, when we think about gospel narratives, when we think about the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, we could have many accounts written by those eyewitnesses. Here's the big point, but only the Holy Spirit only the Holy Spirit can inspire and lead someone to author holy, authoritative scripture. Only the Holy Spirit. Um, 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, the apostle Peter in his first letter writes these words to us to help us understand the reality of how we come to the miracle of our Bibles the prophecy, the prophetic word of God to us. And he says, but know this, know this, first of all, know this first of all, when we think about revelation from God, we think about the word of God, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Uh, we come at Two Rivers Church, we come to the scripture as authoritative for our faith and for our life, knowing God, following God. For faith and conduct, we come as a church family to the authoritative word of God when we come to the scriptures. We um, have this on our website. I thought it might be um, good just to read this. Uh, there's lots of other things on our website when you click on the thing, what we believe, right? Uh, here's, what we, here's what we say about the scripture, what we believe. This is right from our website. Uh, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments written by human authors, right? Second Peter or first, Second Peter 1, written by human authors, by divine inspiration. This is the word of God, and this is the source, the source of Christian beliefs and the final and supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Inspired by God, the Bible is truth without mixture of error in the original manuscripts. What do we mean when we say the original manuscripts? Uh, the Old Testament was written in the ancient Hebrew language. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. So when we say that we believe the inerrancy of Scripture, the, the authority of Scripture in the original manuscripts, we, we, we don't mean what we have, we have translated into our English uh, language. What we mean is the original way that the Holy Spirit led men, inspired by God, to give us the word of God, that it is inspired and that it is authoritative uh, for our life. I would say to you that the authority of Scripture is a key issue, a key essential issue for the Christian church in this age, in this cultural age. But I would also say for any age, for any age, 
we're, we're three months away from Christmas, right? We, we come to the Christmas season with this faith as believers that Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, was born of a virgin. And her name is, tell me, Mary. Supernatural. Ladies and gentlemen, your faith is centered in a supernatural work of God. The Son of God came through a virgin. Her name is Mary. And we come to that by faith, believing that by faith. And I would say that the virgin birth is an essential core Christian doctrine. I would also say we come to the scripture with this belief and understanding that supernaturally the Holy Spirit divinely inspired through men has given us the the breath and the word of God and that it is essential for us as believers. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are called as disciples of Christ to show the reality of our discipleship by humbly and faithfully trusting and obeying the word of God, that we trust and so we obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you, it's, it's an environment of love. It's an environment of trust. We talked about this two weeks ago in our Untangling Legalism series. We were talking about the word obedience. Trust is obey. Obey is trust. And so as believers, as disciples, to humbly come before the word of God as authoritative for our life and our faith and to stray from scripture, to, to walk away from the word that God has given us, his words to us, to walk away to stray is to distrust the Holy Spirit who gave us the very words to know who God is and what God is calling us toward as disciples. Um, submission to the truth of God's word and the trustworthiness of God's word is essential to our relationship with God. Um, Jesus, the prophesied Messiah, he is the central theme of scripture. This is a book about Jesus. This is a book about Jesus who said, if you know me, you will obey me. And I have come to set you free. And whom the sun sets in free is free indeed. This is a book about Jesus. This is a book about freedom. This is a book about rest. This is a book about hope. This is a book about peace. This is a book that will transform us from the inside out in the way, in the way of God as revealed to us in Scripture. Um, there is a, a phrase, a, a, a popular phrase um, that I've thought about this phrase for for years, honestly, but I think in the last year and a half especially, um, I've engaged conversation on this phrase. I've seen this phrase out there and things that are written, and the phrase is this, uh, deconstructing my faith, right? I'm I'm deconstructing my faith. It's It's just a phrase that I have heard more of in the last really two years than I've heard in the 20 previous years of pastoral ministry in my life. Um, I talked a little bit with you about my own testimony uh, in the Untangling Legalism series. And I told you the story of when Lindsay and I were in our kitchen. I was in seminary, 2007. And she brought that verse to me. Remember the story if you were here, 1 John 5, 3. And it says, the commands of God aren't burdensome. 
And it changed a lot of things for us because our experience was that the commands of God were burdensome. So Lindsay and I actually in our own life, in our own journey, entered into a season, truly a season of deconstructing our faith. Like we entered into a process, but anything that is deconstructed needs to be reconstructed. And if we are deconstructing something, we need a guide to reconstruct it. And here is what we were hungry for. We were hungry to deconstruct our legalistic faith. We were, we were hungry to deconstruct a, a more legalistic way of thinking about God and following God and life with God. Deconstruction, I believe, can be really helpful if we got some church baggage, right? We got some, we got some, we got some church stories. We got some baggage. We got some issues. Uh, get that. We had some. You got some. A lot of us have some. Maybe we grew up in a family or in a church culture that really embraced what I would call religious control tactics to get you to behave and do what I want you to do. And so, so uh, tactics of uh, fear and shame, uh, those kind of things are, are put on you. And so some of us have those stories. And we need, we need to deconstruct away from that and see the gospel through the lens of grace and freedom. And what Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If, 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 you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't know the rest, the true rest of God, the peace of God that passes understanding, there probably is a need for you to do some deconstructing so that you can experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. But anything that is deconstructed needs to be reconstructed in the way of Jesus by the authority of his word. Here's what makes me concerned right now as a pastor in this cultural climate and this phrase. Deconstructing my faith is dangerous. It is a slippery slope. If we are deconstructing our faith and we are seeking truth separated from God's word. Deconstructing is dangerous if we are seeking ideologies. Oh, I like this ideology. I'm going to go with this ideology or I like this ideology. So I'm going to grab this ideology. And we're trying to find an ideology and we're looking for ideologies and they are separated from a biblical theology. It's dangerous. It's a slippery slope because what we're saying there is I'm going to take my own truth. I'm going to grab my own truth. And, and I want to say to us as we come into this series, into the gospel of Matthew, I'm exhorting us, I am imploring us, let us be men and women of the word. Let us be thirsty for the spirit and let us be hungry, hungry for the word of God. The word, the word tells us to test every truth Every truth, test every truth. And there's a lot of stuff out. There's a lot of messaging going on right now. There is a lot of messaging. And this is true. And you should believe this. And you should do this. And you should think this way. And you should think this way. And you should think this way. I mean, it's an onslaught of messaging. And the scripture would call us to a place of wisdom to go, listen, everything that's thrown at you as this is truth and this is what you should believe, test it. Test it here. Test every truth 
with the truth of God's word. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, test everything. Test everything and hold on to what is good. Here's what we wanna do in the series of Matthew. We want to hold fast. We want to hold on to King Jesus and his word, the revealed word of God so that we can know so that we can know who God is and what he is calling us to be as his disciples. Um, I hope and pray, and I'm, I, I want us to do this. I want us to come to this series, the Gospel of Matthew, with fresh eyes of freedom in Christ. We spent a lot of time in the book of Galatians since Easter, and we spent five weeks talking about these words that can kind of tangle us up in legalism. And I'm wanting us to come to this gospel narrative with fresh eyes of what it means for us to be free in Christ and so that we can see everything that's written through that lens as we come to this gospel narrative. I thought it would be helpful uh, just to kind of do an overview a little bit of the gospels and then kind of zero in a little bit with an overview of Matthew today. uh, And then we'll jump into Matthew 1 next week. And so you know this is true. We have four accounts in the New Testament of the life and the ministry of Jesus. So what that means is in God's providence and his sovereignty and his guidance and direction, four men were moved by the Holy Spirit to author Holy Scripture about the life of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, when we read them, there's, there's, there's a similar structure and a lot of the accounts that we read are also similar. And there's a, there's a word that's attached to the first three gospel stories. They're known as the blank gospels. Anybody know? Bible trivia. The synoptic gospels. Synopsis, uh, similar. The Greek word synoptic means um, simply just to see them together. So there's a lot of similarity in the synoptic gospels. Uh, Bible trivia. Uh, most people don't realize two of the synoptic gospels were written by authors who weren't uh, disciples of Jesus when he was uh, here on the earth ministering. They actually became believers and followers of Jesus after Jesus ascended to heaven. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So Matthew was one of the 12. We'll talk about that. John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, and Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, were not disciples of Christ when he was living on the earth. In fact, they didn't even come to faith in Jesus until after Jesus ascended to heaven. Luke also wrote another New Testament book, Bible trivia. What is it? Acts. Guys, they're scholars. Scholars. He wrote the book of Acts. Luke and Mark. Mark was a traveling companion. Mark was a traveling companion of the apostle Peter, and so he's reporting things through the testimony of the apostle Peter. Luke was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul, among other eyewitnesses. And so they're writing their gospel narratives based on what other eyewitnesses told them about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And then we have John, the apostle John, who calls himself the the beloved disciple, John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And the gospel of John, he wrote, John, he wrote his gospel. Uh, you may not know this. It was actually a few decades after 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their gospels. And he, he put different things. He had different accounts in his gospel that Matthew, Mark, and Luke never even put in their gospels. And so there's some differences. We have the synoptic gospels and we have John, but we read these gospel narratives and we go, well, there's some differences here. Should there be any concern? Should we have some concern that there are differences? And I would say to you, I think it actually is really helpful and gives us more confidence in the authenticity of the narratives that there are differences. I mean, wouldn't it be a little skeptical if every gospel narrative was word for word the exact same thing? Like there are differences and here's what's encouraging and helpful about the differences is they serve to fill in gaps of other testimonies and they give us a wider lens and a more robust perspective of the life and the ministry of Jesus. I believe that we gain the benefit. It's beneficial, it's more authentic when we have these four different accounts. And so word picture, think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are painting for us a tapestry of the person and the life and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And each one highlights some unique aspects of the person of Jesus and his story. And all of them together give, they have given to us what the Holy Spirit wants us to have in terms of a revelation of the person of King Jesus that God has given us in these four accounts, the revelation that we are supposed to have. We accept the reality that one author may have written things that another author didn't. And for me, I go like this, that's a more robust perspective. And there's always a way to reconcile them. And we can do this confidently because we come to the word of God as the inspiration from God, because the same God who spoke the universe into existence, the same God who spoke the universe into existence also spoke these words, these words to us. The same God who designed the forces of nature, gave life, gave, my, gave me life, gave you life. The same God who has given us life. The same God who makes the sun rise every morning that somehow the earth is tilted just, perf- just perfectly. And it's just the perfect distance from the sun. It's just like the same God that created everything from us has shared the revelation of who Jesus is for us in this book. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is not shifting sand. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, when we see differences in the Gospel of John than we see in the book of Matthew, wonderful. It gives us a more robust perspective. It helps us know who more fully who Jesus is and the different perspectives. It is not a place of confusion for us. God, 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, of shalom, so that we can find rest in his words. Um, there's no misplaced word in the book, nothing is an error in the original manuscripts. Everything is in harmony. And if there's something that we get confused about, if something is lacking sense for us, then we would do well to engage. Engage with the word of God. Engage with people about questions that we have. Uh, but if we can't make sense of something, it's not because the Bible is contradictory. It's because we need a revelation. We need God to help give us discernment and understanding of what he has given to us in his word. I believe that if we submit, if we submit to his word, 
And we allow the Spirit of God to instruct us in the Word, to correct us, to teach us, to train us up in righteousness. The Lord will make things clear for us, for the Lord delights. He delights to reveal himself to those who sit at his banquet table with open hearts, hungry, hungry to know him more. Um, I want to give you some, just some unique expressions of each of those four Gospels um, this morning. And I'll save Matthew for the end, uh, because that's the, our study for the next months. And so, I mean, let me start with Mark. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, has tailored each Gospel in a pretty, in a pretty unique way for a particular audience and a particular purpose. But we, we can know that every Gospel narrative, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is evangelistic. It's the, it's, it's the good news. It's a proclamation of the, every gospel, every gospel story is a proclamation of the good news who is Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But specifically, each gospel does have some, um, some particularities to it. And so I wanna walk, walk us through some of those. So uh, Mark, AKA John Mark. We talked about this already. John Mark, he was a traveling companion of Peter. His audience, when we think about um, the gospel of Mark, his audience was particular to the Romans of his day. So we hear Romans, Jew, Romans, Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. So the gospel of Mark, written really as an evangelistic uh, proclamation to non-Jews to the Romans of his day. And he presents Jesus as our obedient, suffering servant. Like Jesus is the obedient, suffering servant who has come to serve and give his life. Um, one of the things that I loved about my New Testament survey course when I was in seminary is that our professor um, gave us a paradigmatic statement of each uh, gospel. And when he said paradigmatic statement, I was like, what does paradigmatic mean? Um, it just means summary statement, but it's, it's a fun word, paradigmatic. So I challenge you this week to use paradigmatic in, a, in some conversation, right? Um, but the paradigmatic statement or the summary statement of the gospel of Mark is Mark 10, 45. For the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the summary verse, the Gospel of Mark, written to Roman Gentiles, presenting Jesus as an obedient, suffering servant. Luke, Luke, good Dr. Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, a companion of Paul, his audience was to a much wider Gentile audience, but Luke was also written to non-Jews so that they would see Jesus as the Savior. A wider Gentile audience presents Jesus as the son of man who came to save the human race. He is the savior who has come to save the human race. Paradigmatic statement of Luke, Luke 19.10. Oh, you edited it. Nice. I had all kinds of, um, I had some grammatical errors in some of my slides in the first service. And you guys don't think I'm perfect anyway, so it's like, you know, sometimes those things are helpful, right? But they edited them between services, so nice. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Paradigmatic statement of the Gospel of Luke. 
John, John the beloved disciple, right? We know John. Remember John? He calls himself the beloved. He even told the story in his own gospel. He's like, listen, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. Remember, I ran to the tomb, and he told us himself, Peter ran too, and I outran him there. It's one of the funniest things in the text. It's literally like, I outran him to the tomb, baby. Um, He was there when Jesus came into the upper room, when Thomas was like, show me your hands. John was there. John was on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended. I mean, he's like, he's writing his gospel. He's like, I saw everything, and I'm proclaiming Jesus to you. So his audience, his audience is anyone, anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone. And he presents Jesus as the divine son of God. Now, when we think about a paradigmatic statement of the gospel of John, uh, what's the first like, oh, that's the, that's, that's the verse of John. You, you think of what? John what? John 3.16, right? John 3.16. And I, I would say that's a really good paradigmatic statement, right? For God so loved the world, the love of God, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Wonderful, wonderful paradigmatic verse. Um, but I would give you John 20, 31. John 20, the last, the last verse of the gospel. Summary verse of the gospel of John. These are written, these, everything I've told you. And again, I'm an eyewitness. I saw everything. These are written, these stories, these accounts are written so that, so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Mark and Luke and John, all written to Gentiles, really. I mean, John, Jews, Gentiles alike, but Mark and Luke specifically to Gentiles. This is really important context when we think about the gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Matthew. Luke calls him Levi, Levi. Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, he calls himself Matthew. We know that Matthew was a scoundrel. He was a tax collector. He was hated by his own Jewish people. He was Jewish himself. He sold out. He sold out on his own people to collect taxes from his own people in the ancient city of Capernaum to steal money from them, to take money from them, to give to an oppressive Roman government. I can tell you, I can tell you, none of us in this room would have chosen Matthew to be a disciple of Jesus, but Jesus chose Matthew to be a disciple, called him out of his own tax booth, Matthew, Jewish. And the context for us that's so important as we get in, and I'm, I'm gonna remind us of this over and over and over again. The gospel of Matthew is an evangelistic work written by a Jew, Matthew Levi, Matthew Levi, Levi Matthew, to his Jewish people so that they would believe that Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah. We are not Jews. We are Gentiles in the new covenant of grace. This is written to Jews who were in the old covenant of law, inviting them to believe that Jesus is Messiah who has inaugurated the new covenant of grace. And so when we read The Gospel of Matthew, it's going to be important for us to know that he is distinctively Jewish, writing to his own Jewish people so they would know 
that Jesus is Messiah. He presents Jesus as the, the Lion of Judah. Why is that important for Matthew? Well, because the prophecy, remember, he's writing to Jewish people, and they would have known the Old Testament prophecies. They grew up in the Old Testament prophecies. And so they would have known Messiah will only come from the tribe of Judah, 12, 12 tribes of Israel from Jacob, right? The prophecy was, and, 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 and we'll see this next week when we get into the genealogy of Matthew 1, and the line of David. So if it can be proven that Messiah is not from the tribe of Judah or not from the line, the literal bloodline of David, not the Messiah. And so for Matthew to give an account of Jesus to his Jewish people to believe that Jesus is Messiah, he had to show them that Jesus was tribe of Judah, line of David. Are y'all with me right now? It's super important or the whole thing is a house of cards. So you had to give them that information. And we'll get into that next week. And it's why Matthew goes into all that detail in Matthew chapter 1 of the genealogy of Christ. Bible trivia, there's one other book, uh, gospel narrative, that gives a genealogy. Do you know which one it is? You got three chances. Luke. It's Luke. Luke, his genealogy travels the genealogy of Mary. It's from Mary. Matthew's genealogy travels the genealogy of Joseph. That's why they're different. They're both true, but they're different because one is Mary and one is Joseph. Some of you didn't know that. Now you got good Bible trivia info this morning. Matthew presents Jesus as the Lion of Judah. He is the prophetic fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. Paradigmatic statement, I uh, couldn't choose one, so I'm going to give you two. Uh, Matthew 5, 7, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 to 7, Sermon on the Mount. The, all three of those chapters, famous Sermon on the Mount in Capernaum. I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's incredible. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them and to inaugurate in the new covenant of grace. I think we're connecting Matthew better than any other uh, of the other gospel narratives helps us connect the Old Testament with the New Testament. Um, another one, uh, the Great Commission, right? I mean, we think of the book of Matthew, Great Commission, Matthew 28. Uh, therefore, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them says, Jesus to the disciples, to us, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think that's what's so significant about the gospel of Matthew contextually for us to really grab onto this morning is Matthew supplies the necessary connection for us between the Old and the New Testament because he, his audience was his Jewish people who, had, who would have been really um, centered. He, he assumed their knowledge of the Old Testament prophecies. And so he writes to them that Jesus is fulfillment. Uh, here's the time and period. Just a quick statement about time and period of uh, what was happening when Jesus came. Right, So Rome, the empire of Rome. And so the Jewish people in Israel under 
so much political oppression, so much economic persecution. There was this Jewish longing, longing for generations on generations on generations. There's 450 years, I think, between the last prophetic word in the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus the Messiah in between the old and the new. Like we're talking centuries of longing and waiting for Messiah. And they're living in all this oppression and all this persecution of the people of God, Israel, this longing, this longing for their coming Messiah who would be the king, the king of the Jews. And they knew that he would come from the line of David and they, and they, and they wanted him to sit sit on the throne of David and to rule the nations. And their expectation is that Jesus would be a military king. Their expectation is that he would be a military king, an earthly king. What they wanted was an earthly military king. And here's what the Father gave them and us. The Father gave gave us the Son of God. The Father gave us the eternal King of kings and the Lord. They expected and wanted an earthly military king. And what the Father gave them and us is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But here's the reality. Here's the reality, this is a big point. Their expectation, their expectation is what caused them to miss Jesus. Their hope was a Messiah that would restore their land and bring peace. They weren't looking. They weren't looking for an obedient, suffering servant. They weren't looking for a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. They missed, they forgot about that prophecy. They wanted an earthly king. And what the father gave them was a king of kings and the Lord of lords. But they missed him. So many missed him. Here's a side note for us. What expectations do we put on Jesus today? What kind of expectations? Do we, do you put on Jesus today in your life? This is how God is supposed to act, and this is the timing in which I think God is supposed to act. And don't raise your hands here, but who has a testimony of like, man, I put God in a box, and I was like, this is how God was going to act, and this was the timing, and it didn't happen the way I was kind of telling God to act, and then my faith, got little, my, my faith got wrecked a little bit because God doesn't act sometimes in the timing and the ways that we think. His ways are higher than our ways, right? We've got to be careful We've got to be careful that we don't put our own prejudices and our own experiences and our own current events onto Jesus. Let's, not, let's, let's be careful as we get into the gospel of Matthew that we don't miss him the way the Jewish people missed him. To the degree that in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus goes up to the Mount of Olives on the east side of the Kidron Valley He looks over the Kedron Valley. The Temple Mount is right there. And Jesus begins to weep over Jerusalem. Weeping over Jerusalem. Why? Because they did not come to Messiah for salvation. Because they expected him to be different than he was. I just think that this is relevant and current for us. God, when are you going to show up? Messiah, when are you going to show up? I'm, repent, 
Matthew chapter 4, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is literally in front of you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, uh, the word of God says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Jesus said, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. John 10, Romans 8, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. Where are you? I'm right in you. I've never left you. I'm right in you. Be still, be still, be still. Be still, church, be still. God, I don't hear you. I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I'm speaking, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. I'm always speaking. I'm speaking. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? My friend Jody made a statement this past week. Jody Green, her husband Jeremy is Jeremy the Ripper, I call him because he rips on the electric guitar. Um, and she made a statement. Uh, she said, You know, sometimes we need to stop scrolling and read a scroll of the Psalms. And I was like, It's good. You know, there's a thing on your phone that you can actually tell how much time you spend on your phones. It'll literally tell you. I'm not saying go do that because you're probably not going to want to see the reality of that. But I've been thinking about that statement from my friend Jody Green all week long. I'll tell you that I have read more of the Psalms this week than I've probably read in the last six months. And this isn't me up here being like some legalistic preacher like, you better stop being on your phone and read the Psalms. I'm just, I'm just saying like, what do you think is healthier for your mind, body, spirit, soul? Is it spending 10 times more time on your phone than you spend reading the Psalms? Or do you think maybe if you're anxious, if you're troubled, if you're exhausted from all the messaging from all the places, that maybe if you read a scroll of Psalms more than you scrolled, that might be good for you? I think we would all agree that that would be better for us. I don't think I have to convince us of that. So I stand convicted of that, not in a condemning way from the Holy Spirit, but in a, this is for my good. This is for my good. Jason, spend more time reading the Psalms than you do on ESPN.com. I spend, I don't want to tell you how much time. I'm not even going to go there. But I, mean, I don't know. Instagram. Twitter, I mean, anyway, you guys know. We're, we're people, right? We know. Here's, here's what's so current. Our hearts are troubled. We're anxious. I'm going to speak generally. Our hearts are troubled. We are anxious. We are divided. We are afraid. We are angry. We are angry. We're looking everywhere for answers. And we're feeling forgotten and we're feeling unheard and we're feeling overlooked. And I just believe in my spirit that we as the body of Christ, we need a fresh and clear revelation of King Jesus who came to rescue, restore, redeem, transform us. He, Jesus, King Jesus, he is our answer to every problem. Jesus is enough. 
His grace is sufficient. Every struggle, every question, King Jesus. Church, we must surrender our expectations, open our minds to the heavenly revelation of Jesus and his kingdom that is revealed to us in the word of God, that is revealed to us in the word of God, that is revealed to us in the authoritative word of God. Not by my feelings. I embrace an emotional, like, let's be emotional. Let's feel our feelings. Let's talk about our feelings. Let's have emotional intelligence. Let's engage that. It's about transparency. It's vulnerable. It's intimate. It's beneficial. But our feelings shouldn't tell us what the truth is, because sometimes our feelings will betray us. Culture, culture doesn't tell us what is true. Our circumstances don't tell us this is the truth of God for us. And he is inviting us in a fresh way. Come hungry for my word and I will satisfy you. Genesis 3.15. I'm going to take you all the way back to the garden. All right, all the way back to the garden. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3, 15, Jesus has the power to crush the head of Satan and his lies. Power, powerful. Isaiah 9, 7, it's it's one of the most famous, like, Christmas verses to read. And I'm going to drop it on you in October up in here. Like, we might drop it again in Christmas, but I'm about to drop a little Isaiah 9 on you in October. Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government. Who? Messiah, wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor, the word of God, Jesus himself, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end of his power, of his kingdom, of his peace, there will be no end. And I'm reading this last night, and I'm in my notes, and this isn't in my notes, it's written in my own, and I just write, King Jesus. And then I started to sing, because I love hymns. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadems and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Let angels prostrate fall, and me, and me, and me, and me, and you, and us, all hail the power of Jesus' name. We're going to be in Matthew all the way into May. We're going to start chapter 1 next week. Read Matthew 1. Read it. Read some Psalms. Read Matthew 1 every day.
and come ready to talk about Matthew 1 next week. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to go chapter by chapter. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. Let's bring back the beauty of bringing your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church. Go buy a fresh moleskin at Barnes & Noble or somewhere. And right at the top, the Gospel of Matthew. And bring your moleskin, and let's be hungry for the word. Let's take some notes. Let's engage. Let's grow. Let's learn. Let's be transformed. Amen? Amen. And we're going to start next week, Matthew chapter 1. The series is named King Jesus. Worship team, you can come back up. Why do we name it this? Because Jesus is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And let me tell you this prophetically this morning, not because I'm standing up here like some Old Testament prophet, but because God has given me a platform by his grace to speak to the people of God from God. And the authority of God's word gives me authority to say this. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Every knee will bow. And it will either be in reverent submission and faith and trust to the king of Jesus, or it will be because of God's divine justice. But at the end of the age, every knee will bow to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. As believers, we come under King Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. He is the king, and we follow his ways. So let's learn all we can about our king. Amen? Let's learn all we can about our king because to know him, to know him is to trust him. He is, I'm here to tell you he's good. He's good. He's a good father. He's a good king. He delights, he delights to lavish his grace on you. To know him is to trust him. To trust him is to obey him. And to obey him is to be transformed by him in the way of King Jesus. Let us embrace a journey toward Christ-likeness so that we might serve him all the more in this church, in this community, and around the world. All hail, all hail the power of the name of Jesus. Um, We're going to get to sing a couple of songs as a response. During this response time, you're welcome to just allow the beauty of the lyrics to fall over you. You're welcome to stand. Um, You're welcome to uh, engage in worship offerings. There's some giving boxes in the back if you want to bring worship offerings uh, to the Lord during this time. But let's respond and worship to the King of 